If you have your Bible, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. We, uh, it's printed for you in your bulletin. It also uh, will be on the screen behind me, and you can turn there in your Bible uh, as well this morning. But Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, we're going to be looking at chapter 2 this morning. And chapter 2, it's a little bit different. It actually begins uh, at the end of chapter 1. And so turn to 117 uh, this morning. We mentioned uh, last week that we're studying the book of Jonah just for the month of January. And the reason uh, that we're doing that is it's 20, it's the new year, and we want to uh, recalibrate our hearts. Our hearts are naturally ingrown and turn inward, uh, and we get consumed with ourselves. And Jonah is one of those books that turns us out because Jonah is about the mission of God. And so we want to, at the beginning of the year, align our passions uh, with God's passion. And God's passion is for the nations. So our hope and prayer is that uh, we want to make God's heart our heart. And so to do that, we're looking at the book of Jonah. And this morning, we're looking at chapter 2. And this morning in chapter 2, it's Jonah and the fish. And that is, this is perhaps the most outrageous miracle uh, in the Old Testament. And I said this, if you're here this morning and you uh, maybe are not sure what you think about Christianity, you honor us with your presence, we're really glad you're here and we hope that you are able to ask questions here. But if you struggle with Christianity and particularly the miracles, this has got to be at the top of your list. A man getting eaten by a fish. Maybe you're thinking, can I really believe this? C.S. Lewis is very helpful in lots of areas, but he's helpful with the miracles. He's been helpful to me uh, in thinking through the miracles of the Bible. And Lewis says that unlike other religions, if you don't accept the miracles in Christianity, then Christianity falls apart. You don't have Christianity. And Lewis goes on to say that really it all comes down to one miracle. You really only have to believe one miracle and then all of the other miracles will fall into place and that is the miracle of the incarnation. We just spent four or five weeks during Advent looking at the incarnation. The incarnation is when God takes on flesh and becomes a man through the person of Jesus Christ. That is the most outrageous miracle in the Bible. And every other miracle is attached to that miracle. And so if you can believe that miracle, then you can believe all the others, particularly this one. And the reason is, it's because Jesus himself says that this really happened. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, you can look it up later, but Jesus talks about Jonah being in the belly of a huge fish. It would be possible for us this morning to give all our attention to the fish. Sinclair Ferguson is quite humorous here, but he says, this has to be the most criticized fish that has ever swam in the Mediterranean Sea. And he hopes that sometime in the future, in the new heavens and new earth, that this fish would be permitted to give an opportunity to answer its critics. See, there's been a lot of ink spilled on this fish throughout church history, and I think too much, and lots of others think too much, has been made of this fish that it is actually distracted from the main point of the story. The narrative is not about the fish. 
The fish simply has a walk-on part, and you can see that as we read through it, has a walk-on part in this story. And if we focus on the fish this morning, then we will miss the main point of this story. And friends, this morning, the main point of this story is not the fish, but it is the amazing grace of our God. And I think you'll see what I mean as we start to work through this passage this morning. So follow along with me as I read God's Word. Jonah chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 17 and go through chapter 2, verse 10. This is God's Word. And the Lord, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay, because salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to come and help us. This morning, let's pray together. Father, there are those here this morning that perhaps feel a lot like Jonah. uh, Feel in despair. Feel the waters closing in uh, upon them. Lord, others uh, maybe are really discouraged by the sin that won't seem to go away. Others of us are discouraged in our parenting. We're just discouraged in um, our marriage, Lord, and we could go on and on and on, but we carry burdens, heavy burdens this morning into this room, and we need a word. We're here because we need to hear from you, and so would you come and revive us, as we have sang this morning, revive our souls, speak to us, show us um, the gospel through this passage and the amazing grace of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you were here last week, one of the things that we learned about Jonah is there's not a whole lot of background about Jonah in the Bible, but one of the things we do know is he was a prophet. And if you were here last week, we learned, and at this point, he's a pretty terrible prophet. <laughs> Why? Well, because what do prophets do? God comes and speaks to them. And they go and they do what God says, not Jonah. God comes and speaks to Jonah, and instead of doing what other prophets do and what most prophets would do, Jonah doesn't do what God says. 
he instead turns and goes and runs the opposite way in the opposite direction. He wants nothing whatsoever to do with God. He disobeys God willfully. And what does God do? Well, he sends a storm. And it's a really bad storm because the sailors who do this every day for a living, they are frightened. And so they go down and they wake Jonah up and they say, you need to start praying to your God. Is this happening because of you? And Jonah eventually says, Yes, this is my fault. Throw me into the sea and the water will calm down and the raging sea will stop. And that's exactly what they do. They throw Jonah overboard and the storm stops. But think about this for a second. We often don't think about this as we think about the book of Jonah. But at this point in the story, Jonah thinks he's headed for death. He doesn't know that this fish is going to come and to swallow him up. He thinks he's going to die. The picture is that Jonah is in all-out despair here. He's desperate. Jonah would rather die and end his life and go to the bottom of the ocean than to go and obey God and share the gospel to the Ninevites, to people who don't know God. Jonah has disobeyed. He's running from God, and now... He is going to face the judgment of God. And he's going to get exactly what he deserves for what he's done. That's what we expect. That's not what happens. God miraculously, through an appointed fish, this fish comes and swallows Jonah up. Here's the picture that I want us to think about. The gospel right here. Jonah deserves judgment. He deserves death. And instead, he gets grace. He gets grace through a fish. And as he's in the belly of this fish, Jonah starts to pray one of the great prayers of the Bible. And Jonah prays, and we could talk about all the psalms that he pulls from as he prays this prayer, but he just starts praying psalms. Think about it. If you were to get this passage on a piece of paper with no context, and I were to give this to you and say, What book of the Bible does this come from? What would you say? Immediately, you would probably say, well, of course, that's from the Psalms. You see, Jonah knew the Psalms so well that when he did finally start to pray, they simply came out of him. And this morning, we're going to look at what he prays. We're going to look at his prayer, and we're going to look at it under two points. First of all, point number one, Jonah's distress. Secondly, God's deliverance. So distress and deliverance are the points this morning. Let's look at number one, distress. Look at verse one. Jonah finally starts to pray. And the reason why this is a big deal, because he has not prayed up until this point in the narrative. The sailors have prayed, but Jonah has not prayed. And here's the question I want us to ask is why is Jonah now praying? Well, because God in his grace, and notice I did say grace, God in his grace has brought Jonah low. Remember, uh, we've seen this throughout uh, this passage, but we see this downward descent. The text keeps saying he went down, he went down. Now Jonah is lower than he's ever been before. He's at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a well or, or, or a fish, a big fish. The reality of Jonah's need did not break in to his life until he was at rock bottom. Literally the bottom of the sea. 
That is when God saves him. God saves him when no one else can save him. When he's at the end of his rope, so to speak. How low does Jonah go in this passage? Well, let's look at it. Look at verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Very familiar language to Psalm 18. You can read it later. But distress, this word distress means extremely fearful or extremely anxious. Desperation. Again, verse 2. Out of Sheol, I cried. That simply means out of the grave, he's saying, I cried. You can't get any lower than that. This is the lowest point that he could possibly go. Jonah is overwhelmed by his sin. He's overwhelmed by the mess that he's made of his life. Verse 3. You've cast me into the deep sea. The flood surrounded me. All of your waves and billows have passed over me. This is, again, almost identical language to Psalm 42. In the ancient Near East, the word sea, anytime we see the sea show up in the Bible, it is a picture or a symbol for us of chaos and confusion. I mentioned this last week, but it's always a movement downward in your life when you reject and rebel against God's word. It always, mark my word, it always dehumanizes you. That's what we see not only in our experience in life, but also in the Bible. Jonah is experiencing confusion and chaos because he's trying to be his own God. He is convinced that his way is the right way. Confusion and chaos is a result of running from God. Verse 4, I'm driven away from your sight. God takes Jonah low to show him how his sin has actually hurt his relationship with God, actually hurt his fellowship with God. Verses 5 through 7, the waters close over me to take my life. Think about how vivid the weeds are wrapped around my head. Your bars have closed over me. My life is fainting away. Exhausted. Jonah is exhausted and afraid. He's living in fear of condemnation because he starts to understand that what he deserves is to spend eternity separated from God. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to become a Christian? Well, friends, it sometimes feels like this. And the reason why you haven't heard this much preached in the church is because this is not what packs the pews. We want our best life now, don't we? This is not how you win friends and influence people. And if I've seen this once, I've seen this a thousand times on the college campus When you start to experience things like this, most often than not, people think, God is mad at me, God has abandoned me, I've done something, he wants nothing to do with me. And if you don't think that, then you think there's something really wrong with your version of Christianity. What's the point? Well, the point is that grace sometimes has teeth. Grace sometimes hurts. Because grace, sometimes God uses grace to teach our hearts to need Jesus, and that isn't always pleasant. See, why does God do this to Jonah? Well, the same reason he does it to you. Because he loves you. And because he wants to restore you. And he wants to bring you back to him. And he's willing to do that even if it sometimes hurts. 
there's an old movie called The Guardian. It wasn't a great movie. It's about 10 years old. It had uh, Kevin Costner and uh, Ashton Kutcher were in this movie, and it's centered around the Coast Guard. You might remember this, and you know the Coast Guard, one of, they do lots of things, but they save people who are drowning in the ocean. Uh, that They do that a lot, and they will tell you that uh, people that try to save themselves are the hardest people to save. You've heard stories of where they fight back against you and eventually try to pull both of you under and two people end up drowning. And so there's this scene in the movie where Ashton Kutcher is trying to save this guy and sure enough, this guy is in all-out panic mode and he's climbing all over Ashton Kutcher and they're both going under and they're both drowning and then the scene is Ashton Kutcher takes his elbow and he drives it right in the top of this guy's head and knocks him completely unconscious. Now the man's helpless. Because he's unconscious. And now he's ready to be saved. Well, that's exactly what God did with Jonah. God had to get Jonah to a place of helplessness so that he could rescue Jonah. And he didn't knock him out with an elbow. He just took him to the bottom of the ocean and put him in the belly of a fish. And he does the exact same thing in our lives. You see, when we don't feel needy, when you do not feel needy, and when you don't feel needy, you know what happens? You stop praying. That's what we saw in Jonah's life here. If you look at the passages, if your life is full of prayerlessness, then you think way too highly of yourself. And you see, when we sense to feel needy, friends, you have lost your grip on the Christian life. Because as a Christian, when you grow, you don't feel more self-sufficient. Okay, so it's never like, oh, I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, I'm good, I got this thing figured out. That's not Christianity, and that's not what it looks like to grow as a Christian. The more you grow, and the longer you walk with Jesus, we see it in the Apostle Paul. You say, I am the worst of all sinners. You see, you see your neediness before God, and if you're not sensing your neediness as a Christian, I'm not sure you're growing spiritually. Jonah had forgotten how needy he was. And so God takes him to the bottom of the ocean, And appoints the fish to come and to teach Jonah that he really needs grace more than ever. The Christian life is a growing awareness of your sin and a growing awareness of how wonderful Jesus is and how he can meet all of those needs that you have in your life. It's the pattern that we see all the way through the Bible. We see it from Abraham We saw it with David last fall. We see it with Peter and Paul and Jonah. It's those painful in the belly of the fish moments that make you run to Jesus. Friends, God uses your pain. He uses your trouble to make you hunger for God. See, God takes you low. Maybe it's you're not getting in the school that you wanted to get into. 
Or maybe you not getting the grade that you wanted to get. Or maybe God does it in the form of an injury or an illness or a sickness. Or maybe he takes you to the end of your rope in parenting to where you all the options are out and you have nowhere else to go. Why does God do that? Because he wants you to be needy. He wants you to cry out and to hunger for him. Because you see, you... You you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. He is enough. That's what Jonah is experiencing at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. Not only is he experiencing that, he's also experiencing something else too. And that leads us to the second point, God's deliverance. A great need that Jonah has, his distress is met with a great grace, with a great deliverance. This passage, I love it because it actually shows us the gospel, the two sides of the gospel. You've heard me say this before. The gospel is cheer up. You're a whole lot worse than you think. But cheer up. God's grace and His goodness and His love for you is greater than you could possibly imagine. Those things are always side by side, always together, and they're together in this passage. Look at verse 2. I cried out to the Lord, and He didn't leave me. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard me. You didn't close your ears towards me, Jonah's saying. You heard my voice. Verse 4, I am driven out of your sight, yet... I shall look on your holy temple. Verse 6, the bars were closing on me, yet you brought my life up from the pit. Verse 7, my life was fainting away, yet you heard my prayer. Translation, what is Jonah saying? My life is falling apart. I am a complete basket case. I've made a train wreck out of my life. I'm in distress. I'm miserable. I'm a rebel. I've willfully disobeyed you. I've run from my calling as a pastor and a prophet. I deserve your wrath. I deserve for you to let me stay in the ocean and die, but you didn't leave me, God. You're still there. You heard my cry. You love me. See, the fish was a sign and a picture of God's grace to Jonah because it's in the belly of the fish that God works on Jonah's heart and begins to change him. In the fish that God that Jonah's heart is actually redirected and turned back to God. It's redirected towards God in two ways. The first way is God's heart is redirected towards God's sovereignty. What do I mean by sovereignty? That is just simply a way of saying God's control over all things. God's rule over all things. That is a really big deal in the book of Jonah. We see it everywhere. He controls and rules all things. The New City Catechism, remember what we just confessed. Who is God? Creator of everyone and everything. And then it ends by saying, nothing happens except through Him and according to His will. Jonah's in the belly of this fish and he remembers that God sends the storm. Who sent the storm in chapter 1? Who hurls the storm? You can go back and look at it. God does. Look at the first few verses of this chapter 2. Who appoints the fish? God appoints the fish. Who causes the fish to vomit Jonah onto the shore? God does. And here's the part that's really hard to swallow. Look at verse 3. 
But Jonah clearly confesses it. Who cast Jonah into the deep? He says, God, you cast me into the deep. Your waves and your billows have passed over me. You see, Jonah realized something at the bottom of the sea in the belly of this fish. He realized that God had not stopped loving him and was pursuing him and was loving him to the end. So where are you this morning? Are you in distress? Do you feel like you're at the bottom of the sea and the waves are breaking in and covering you? Does that perhaps feel like you have weeds like Jonah wrapped around your head? Well, is it not possible that God could be using those things just like he was using them in the life of Jonah to teach you things that you need in order for you to grow and to mature to teach you things that you could not learn any other way? See, we want quick fixes, don't we? We live in an instant society. I've said this before, but, you know, if the web page doesn't pull up in .1 seconds, then we snap and think something's wrong with our server or whatever. We want things, and we want it now. We want techniques to restore us and to make us holy people and to make us more like Jesus. But God invites us into a process. See, life with God often feels more like counseling than a quick fix. You see, that's the hard part of the Christian life, isn't it? The hard part of the Christian life is that God sometimes takes us to the bottom of the sea in order to change us. And oh, that is not fun. That is not fun. But it shows us here in this passage, if this passage shows us anything, it shows us that those things that are going on in your life right now at this moment are not random. They are under the control of a loving God who loves you and is working out his purposes in your life. Secondly, we see here that God is working in Jonah's heart and he's redirecting Jonah's heart not only towards his rule and control, but also towards his grace. Look at verse 4 and 7. You see, mentioned a couple of times, you might have picked up on it, the holy temple. What does that mean exactly? Well, remember the temple was where the Holy of Holies was located. And in the Holy of Holies was God's mercy seat. And that's where the priests would go and make sacrifices on behalf of the people. But in order for him to go into God's presence, there had to be the shedding of blood. And we know, because we live this side of the cross, that in the New Testament, that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. He was the sacrifice. So that when we trust in him, we get into the holy of holies because he is the once and for all sacrifice for our, our sin. The point is that the only way, and, and Jonah's reflecting on this, that he's brought into God's presence is through the shedding of blood. Jonah remembers that and cries out to God in his holy temple and says, I can look again on the holy temple. He's remembering that it is by grace that God lets him in. God lets him in to the place, the last place he deserves to be, in the holy temple. Tim Keller defines grace this way. Grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. 
to put it in terms of this passage, grace is being let into the place that you do not deserve to be by someone who's not obligated to let you in. That's what it means to be a Christian. Jonah was being let back in to the one place, into God's presence, that he did not deserve to be. And the same is true for us. God lets us in. Grace lets you in. Not on your own merit, but on the merit of Jesus based on his sacrifice. Many of you know that was a campus minister with RUF uh, for six years. And so during that time, uh, we watched lots of Ole Miss football. And I know Ole Miss football has fallen on hard times. Uh, but one of the things I got to experience when I was there, which if you know me, I eat this kind of stuff up, but uh, I got invited, a personal invitation to come and to tour uh, the practice facility, the indoor practice. Every SEC school has one of these, and they're amazing. And I remember I was with this guy, and we walk up to the front door of the practice facility, and he puts his thumbprint on the door. You had to have a special, you know, They had to recognize who you were, and so we go into the practice facility, and we go into the equipment room, and a trainer's there, and there's all these shirts to choose from, and he's saying, take your pick. You can have any shirt you want. Then we walk into the locker room, and they're showing, and all these players are in there, and I'm meeting all these people, and they're showing what happens before the game, and then we walk into the war room, and that's where the coaches would sit around, and then he opens up this board, and here are all these people that they're recruiting and so it, I, was this, I was a kid in a candy shop. I got to walk through the tunnel and see how the players came out onto the field and walk out and all those things. And the whole way through, all I could think about was I don't belong here. And that under any other circumstances, I would be thrown out and arrested in this building. But I did belong there, didn't I? Because I was invited there. And I was there because someone who had the authority to let me in Let me in. Friends, this morning, you belong in the one place that you don't really belong, in the presence of God, because grace has let you in. And you don't get in by a fingerprint. You get in by the blood of Jesus himself. How is that possible? Well, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Listen to what Jesus says. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, I will rescue you because I go into the belly of the grave for three days and three nights. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you are accepted. You will be accepted because I was rejected by my Father. Remember on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're accepted because Jesus was rejected. And so God invites people like us into his presence. I want you to think about this. Some of us have been hearing this for a long, long time. And it's easy for us not to think of the power and the way this should move us. But you are invited into the presence of a holy God. See, God invites people who look at pornography. He invites people who abuse substances and who abuse prescription drugs and who shade the truth in order to make themselves look better. 
and who explode in anger at their children. He invites people who have secret addictions that no one else knows about. He invites people that run and willfully disobey God just like Jonah does and runs as far as they can away from them. God says, come on in. I invite you into the one place that you do not belong because I'm so holy. And you do not get in on your own merit, but you get in because of Jesus and what he has done. Friends, that is the gospel. God invites you this morning into his presence through the work of Jesus. And so will you come? And will you receive the invitation? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Would you let that hit our heart this morning that we are allowed into your presence the one place that we don't belong because of the work of your Son. Melt our hearts with that truth. Lord, forgive us for turning away when we encounter circumstances that aren't favorable. Lord, we get bitter, we get angry, we start to doubt. We want to walk away from you. Forgive us. Would you help us to have a different perspective? Would you soften our hearts? And instead, allow those things, instead of making us cynical and bitter, would you allow those things to turn us towards you and to make us hunger after you? Lord, come and do these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.